iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I thank you for joining us. Now in the studio with me, looking very excited, it's Alison Rudd. And down the line, it's the very excellent Matt Dickinson. Later on, we'll be discussing Gareth Southgate's England World Cup squad and the identity of the next Arsenal manager. But there's only one place to start, and that's at Wembley with the FA Cup final. Nico, I want to start before the game. Um, Romelu Lukaku's had a very good season. I, I couldn't work out. And then he had an injury, and so he came off the bench. Can you work out what Mourinho said about him? With and he's like, if the player tells me he's not fit, then I can't play him. And what well, <laughs> what's he doing? Well, yeah, as in many cases with Mourinho, certainly in, in increased, you know, more increasingly in recent years, you, you're left sort of scratching your head, thinking, well, you know, we do know, you know, it's not the first time he'd have prodded a player in public to try and get get something out of them, but to do it at the close of season, to do it, um, I mean, whether whether it's him just sort of saying, you know, don't blame me for this one, blame someone else, which again wouldn't be the first time he's done that either. But it just doesn't make sense. And as you say, I, you know, I still find Lukaku a bit frustrating, in the sense that he, you know, I think he can be better than he than he is, better than he has been. Um, I think his, you know, his his talents suggest um, there's more, much more to come. Um, it was a fitness thing, right? Well, but yeah, equally as you say, the, you know, there's a, there's been a discussion about whether he feels fit to play. I mean, I know it is it's it's a recurring theme with Mourinho this as well about this issue of sort of getting players out when they're not right. I mean, he, you know, he can be pretty unsparing on players he feels are are malingering. Um, but the emphasis there on he feels, and I just don't think this is a clever row to bring out into public at the end of a season. I just don't think it's, you know, once again, it's this leaves you scratching your head about how he, you know, how he thinks he's getting the best out of players, and because he's not. I mean, that's ultimately the manager's job, and. You know, Paul Pogba is having issues. I mean, Paul Pogba is another one. He's over-elaborating. His head is not quite right. Marcus Rashford, he is not the player he should be. You know, if this was a one-off, you'd say it's the player's problem. But when it becomes two, three, four players, you start thinking, is this the manager's problem? Alison, I, you know, we in the media get blamed for, for creating speculation and controversy and stuff like that. This, to me, seems pretty open and shut, though. He could have just said he's not fully fit. That's why he's starting on the bench. He can give us 25 minutes, half an hour, but I can't start him because he's not fit. 
that would have been the easy out. By speaking the way he did, well, he says he's not fit, blah, blah, blah. You're, you're leaving yourself open to the fact that this guy's a wuss or that he's saving himself for the World Cup or all this other stuff. What, what's the point? Um, I think if there is a point, it's Mourinho's way of saying, woe is me, look at what I've had to dealt with deal with all season yeah but this guy's been good for Mourinho this season this guy's scored yes, a ton it's not, of goals I would say it's not a specific <laughs> Lukaku thing I would say it's a an exasperation that he's going into his only chance to win silverware this season and he doesn't feel the team are clicking he hasn't quite got on top of the problems he has there he feels slighted that coming second to a team like City hasn't been awarded the praise he feels he should get um, he clearly has a bad feeling about the preparation because he's getting his ex- classically getting his excuses in early. I I wouldn't say it was a specific, like he's been simmering with issues with Lukaku all season necessarily. I just feel Mourinho doesn't believe his team are, are as malleable as teams he's had in the past. He's found it hard to be as pragmatic with them. He can't mould them the way he wants to mould them, and it's become a bit of a mishmash and. In fact, what happened was the FA Cup final was a prime example of everything that has been um, unacceptable or unappealing about Manchester United this season because there was very little, especially in the first half, where you could you could identify what was happening. It was a bit of a mess. Why don't we get to that later I and mean, let's review some of these incidents because the, the, the one, obviously, Chelsea took the lead with that early um, Eden Hazard penalty. Ball over the top, Phil Jones, who then, I, I, I kind of feel for the guy because he really is set up to be like, it almost seems like why always him, you know, with that bizarre <laughs> own goal. And then here, like he's, you know, it's hard. It's hard when you're like that and you're coming from the other from the other direction and, and Hazard has you beat. He fouls him. He's not sent off. Conte's head explodes on the bench. <laughs> Um, this is pretty open and shut, right? Allison, qualified referee, the rules changed. Yeah. And as long as you make a genuine attempt to play the ball in the box, in other words, not if you do the Trent, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold handball in Rome or if you can't, if you jump on somebody's head and tackle him, if it's inside the box, if it's a genuine attempt to play the ball, there is no so-called triple punishment. You get a yellow. If it's outside the box where the thinking is, even if it's a genuine attempt, you've got time to recover potentially, then you can get a red card. But inside the box, it's a yellow. That's what the rule says. Um, and everyone welcomed that rule change because it did seem terribly unfair to be given a penalty against you for a tackle that just was mistimed. Did you think it was a genuine? Do you think it was a mistimed? I mean, you think, I would actually think this is the other argument somebody made is maybe people are like, oh, look, Conte's so thick. He doesn't know the rule. <laughs> but actually, people say maybe he does know the rule. Maybe he didn't think it was a genuine attempt to play the ball because it looks like a normal tackle, but is there any way, shape, or form other than turning himself into Gumby or Captain Fantastic that he can actually get the ball cleanly? Probably not, but he was only inches away from it. It wasn't like... It was close enough, I think. has a senses that, you know, does exactly what he should do, which is just, you know, shift fractionally so that he is... You know he's in the way of the ball, but as you know, I think Jones is reaching that point where he's thinking, you know, I'm going to have to try and sort of do a reach around tackle now. Although he said he should have gone obviously with his left foot, but I think at that point Hazard is also, you know, sent, you know, 
knows someone's on his shoulder and is 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 sort of making sure if a tackle comes, the tackle hits him. So you know, but I, yeah, I, it, it was a it was a desperate tackle. But I think, yeah, I think blindly we got you know we talk about this enough. If you can understand why the referee's done it, which I think anyone sensibly can, can you know thinks that's a you know, and he was in a again. I thought it was brilliant to watch how Michael Oliver moves his changes his run, um, just comes across by a few yards so that he's exactly the right line behind. Uh, you know, you can un, you can understand his decision absolutely. All right. I understand that one, and I think spot on. What I understood a little bit less, especially with VAR, was Ashley Young's handball. Is he suggesting that this is this is obviously uh, in the second half? Uh, I think it was Victor Moses who who tries to put in a cross after after a brilliant counterattack from Chelsea, which ended with with Marco Alonso clearly being extremely one footed. Um, but what was your thought on that, Alison? That was a hundred percent not handball. I'm I'm surprised it created quite as much debate. The ball was travelling at speed, very close to Ashley Young. If he would tried to move his arm out of the way, he could have still clipped the ball. Then it would have been a penalty because he would have been moving his arm. So he didn't make any unnatural movement. He was close because he's supposed to be because he's trying to block a cross or a shot. I don't see at that distance at that speed how a player with his arms by his side. His body moves forward, therefore his arms move slightly forward. But you you really can't expect players in the box to be working out the angles of their limbs with in, in an absolute split second. I don't think it was a penalty at all. Could have done the old thing where you keep your arms behind your... There wasn't time. It was all very fast. It was close range and fast. Dicko? Yeah, I'm agreed. Oh, come on. I don't know. What do, you I, I, what do you think? Give, give Mike, just you, you Italians, you just can't take Michael Oliver, can you? you just... No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I just thought it was. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't think the ball was traveling at such speed. It looked more like it looked more like he chipped it. Actually, it was so close. I, I think, and I agree. Was... I, no, I, I agree. It was close. Um, I'm assuming it went to, to. And I'm assuming it's not even Michael Oliver's call. Michael Oliver. Might have seen and not seen. I'm assuming VAR got in his ear and said, "Oh, look, yeah, it was no, close." Yeah, I think he sees it and he thinks that's not a penalty. And unless the guy thinks that that's a, you know, a, a, he's he's got it horribly wrong and it's definitely a penalty, then he uh, he says, "Yeah, no, no, you know, I I think you you probably have that right, or it's enough to say you you know, I think I think you may have that right." Mourinho had some interesting things to say afterwards. He he basically said that he. This is one of those situations where I can actually, I don't think he's contradicting himself. I can see where he's coming from. He says, I'll, I'll always applaud the winners because I'm all about results and all about winning. Um, and then he says, of course, only one team tried to play, presumably not the team in blue. And what would you have said about me if we had played that way and we had won? So I'm going to ask you, Dicko, what would you have said? If, if United had done, if United had set up the way Chelsea did, well, what would you have said if United had played this way? Uh, well, I, you know, it's not, it's not like I, w- I would have said if, if you're getting the best out of your best player, um, Aiden Hazard, then you know you're setting up a system pretty well, aren't you? Um, you know, I, the, the bottom line about the way the game was set up was not what Chelsea did, but what Mourinho did. I mean, Mourinho puts Herrera on a very obvious, you know, transparent from the 
second second of the game, uh, Herrera's man-marking Hazard. Basically, he's done that because he doesn't want the centre-halves to be drawn out of position to, to advance the take on Hazard. So he wants, you know, absolute belt and braces defence. And it didn't work. And not only that, but it conceded in the sense that obviously Hazard does wriggle free and gets the goal. It didn't work in the sense that it set a very defensive tone for United from the start. It didn't work in the sense that they were getting outnumbered in midfield because obviously if you're pulling Herrera back, then you've got Pogba and Matic um, generally were up against three. So they're being outnumbered. And, you know, <laughs> we sort of we could go on. So you go into halftime, you're 1-0 down. Obviously, the game then changes. United go on the front foot. They get more offensive. But Chelsea, you know, Chelsea retreat clearly under orders, under under a plan of, actually, this is just, <laughs> we are just going to try and grind it out. Uh, and their defensive organisation and their, their general concentration is, is good enough to sort of get away with it. Yeah, there was a, sense, a slight sense of getting away with it, but once your first half plan has worked better than the opposition's, then you've sort of got that luxury. So, uh, you know, I can see why Mourinho was trying to deflect it with, oh, look at them parking the bus. But I'm afraid, you know, he was the one whose first half plan didn't work. And and plus on top of that, Alexis Sanchez having an absolute stinker, Lingard anonymous, Rashford's confidence completely shot. So you haven't got that forward punch. We've seen him go defensive. We've seen him be anything but defensive, depending on the situation. But I mean, I think when you're 1-0 up, against a team that's not very good at parking themselves in the final third and passing circles around you, i.e. Manchester United, then I think it makes sense to it makes sense to sit and, and take your chances on the counter. And so they had that very good chance with with Alonso. Um I mean well, why, also I mean, because Mourinho's solution in these situations is simply to send on more and more strikers, right? Yeah. So then it's just more bodies, and then yeah. you just counter bodies with bodies, and you're fine. It's not like, it's not like you take the lead, and then you know you're playing Bayern Munich or Manchester City, and so they're gonna go and camp out in your half, and then you're kind of in trouble because you're inviting the pressure, right? That's United aren't comfortable playing that way, in in the same way that these other teams are. But what about the disconnect? It worked as a plan. It worked absolutely. They won the cup and. It never really felt like United were going to get back in it. And it, as a plan, it worked. So why were the players not more joyous about executing a plan well and winning a cup? Why was Hazard saying, that wasn't enjoyable? If I need to play with more expression. What? What? I just felt there was... Because it was a, a horrible game. I mean, Yeah, I'm, exactly. So I felt the players were sort of going over the, overboard on it and could have had more counterattacks, but were actually quite deliberately, inhibitedly conservative to make a point. You're right, obviously. We had the whole uh, issue with uh, Williams' Instagram as well. For those who didn't see this, he, he put little, I don't know, are they little, little sort of emojis of the cup yeah. uh, onto the, the team photo, and he put them to cover up Antonio Conte. Now, Alison, you were saying that this was actually a tribute to Conte because he said... Conte was the man behind the cup, and without him, they wouldn't have won it, right? That's how you read it? <laughs> Absolutely. I don't think there's any debate, is there? I, it, but it, I think this has been underplayed, the way the players have reacted. We had Fabregas and Hazard saying this is unacceptable and not fun to play in, and they doubt their futures if playing such football. You've got the a really insulting 
posting by William, who, I, I mean, it's not nice to be left on the bench for the cup final, but it's not about that, I don't think. It's just about just being bored of the system, bored of the training, bored of being boring. But to post that is, I just think that's remarkable. This is this is player power, ensuring that surely ensuring that Conte doesn't have a chance to keep going at the club. Which might be what Conte wants, because if he gets sacked, then he gets a ton of compensation and is free to go somewhere else. Oh God, that's that's like House of Cards. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> I, this is such an odd situation, isn't it, Dicko? That is about to fall out with Costa last summer as well, isn't it? I mean, say, I mean, there were David Louise, of course. And David I mean, Louise. If, if you're willing, you can understand. Like, oh, look, my two mates, right? Yeah. Gee, what, what happened to well, me this season? I think David Louise had four, sorry, William had, I think, four games this season where he played 90 minutes. I did think it was extraordinary that he didn't come on earlier. I mean, there was a game, you know, this was a game where, you know, you did sense that, say, as we said before, Chelsea were. You know, were riding their their luck a bit, and I was sitting so so deep, and you just thought they've got to get some energy out there. I mean, Fabregas had done the pass of the game, but equally he was, you know, in a, in that sort of rear guard sort of action, he's not the player that you uh, tend to be looking for, and it, you just thought they've got to get some more energy on the pitch, and I, I found it, you know, almost I did find it perverse that William was saved so late, um, and imagining Conte's mind, you can. Um, I don't think that there's some sort of fallout up yours about that one as well. I think there's been quite a lot of up yours about Conte generally. Um, so what, what, in, what in happens now, problem. though? Because, I mean, on, on the background here, I, again, just as a sum up, if, if he gets sacked, then Chelsea have to pay him a ton of money, which could be problematic because financial fair play for all the giggling, ha, 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 and, you know, no, it, it, it's real and it affects a club like Chelsea. Uh, especially when they won't have Champions League football next season, and of course didn't have Champions League football two years ago. Um, if on top of that you got to, you know, you have to go and and, and spend what twelve million, eleven million on on his payoff. He only signed two years, and he said, and if they're pay, paying him a year's money by Chelsea standards, is that's you know that's a discount sacking compared to. Well, much of what's 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 gone before, but then you got to pay the next guy too. So yeah, but no, it, is that, I, you know, I, I don't think anyone's been working under any illusion. You know, they they did a sort of marriage of convenience last summer. Even then, it was clearly, you know, relations have been strained for a long time, haven't they? And I just think that it gets to a point. You know, they've they've managed to get through this year, but you know, let's not forget they're out of the Champions League. But they've some, you know, that it has not been any kind of sort of. A harmonious working relationship for a long time, and at Chelsea, as we know, you know there comes a point where the the big boss, um, you know, doesn't indulge that anymore. The big boss, who of course doesn't have a hasn't been to England since April, and doesn't, and it's as news emerged yesterday, uh, he hasn't received his visa. He doesn't have a normal. He obviously he's Russian. He only has a Russian passport, and to be in this country. He used what you call an investor visa, which is something reserved for people who who invest a lot of money in uh, in this country. Um, and it hasn't been renewed yet. Now it hasn't been turned down either. But um, from what we've been, from what's been reported, and what his people have confirmed, it has not yet been renewed. So there's that's just part of the reason he wasn't at the uh, FA Cup final. Bit of an air of mystery there. And the other thing is they haven't appointed a director of football either, which seemed to be a pretty integral part of their plan. They haven't had one since Michael Emanalo left uh, back in December, I think it was. So 
Do they have a plan, Allison? I mean, well, they're not even. We don't even hear them linked, do we? We have a bit of link with Luis Enrique, a little bit of a link, link with Sarri. Then it all seems to to kind of go cold. Maybe Brendan, your pal Brendan Rogers, but the night went cold. You're right, Gab. This has been a peculiar uh, hiatus at Chelsea. There is normally rumor. There is normally a plan. Yes, and it's very hard to keep it secret. A lot of people had money on. Uh, Conte being sacked straight after the final didn't happen. There are no leaks. You can pick up um, paper with people who cover Chelsea day in, day out. It's the club they look at. And the, those journalists, they're really good at getting getting it right. And they're changing their mind almost daily on who might be the new manager, what so, might be the new setup, how they're be, coping with Emanalo's departure, which is weird that they haven't coped with it yet. Would it be insane to suggest that maybe Abramov says, you know what, I got bigger problems. We should have appointed a director of football. We don't have one yet. Rather than going and spending a ton of money on getting a manager in and then scrambling to get a director of football, why don't I just take my time with it? Conte may have his issues, but he also still has pride. We only finished fifth. Maybe we can raise some money by selling a couple guys and we'll be fine. We'll finish top four next year because Spurs are sure to collapse at some point. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, maybe take my time and do it right. And so Conte ends up staying. Is is that like totally far-fetched? Uh, I, I, or, or put Conte in a position where he has to resign? Yeah, well, I, I, can't, I can't see it. I just don't. I think there's too much. Um, I, I mean, I guess we should never say never, but it's you consider that you know someone like Willian is clearly just w- wants to get out if if Conte stays other players we know uh, are sorry but that's Willian right so if Willian wants to get out yeah, it's a good world play- cup you sell him for money it's not a, uh, I mean yeah, it's not like it's not like Maradona's leaving and that, but I mean bigger than that you need to, to want the manager that the manager has to want to stay the manager has to want to have a plan the manager has to want because they have missed the Champions League this year and you know for much for all of Conte's um, I, I would hope professionalism for all personal ambition. I, you know, if if a guy is that disgruntled and has has been squabbling with you and so on, I, I think you would have to look him in the eye and say, are you, do you have any desire to be around for another year before you could make that? And if you, if, if if we think that's wobbled pretty hard, and if it has, then surely you're surely you are better looking around. And Chelsea being Chelsea with the money they have with being in London, being with the resources, with the, you know, it's a decent, decent playing squad. Let's not forget, um, it's a pretty attractive option for a number of coaches. I know there's another elephant in the room, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, which is Eden Hazard's contract because he's entering the final two years, and we know that that's not a great situation. I, I will say this just to wrap it up as somebody who knows a little bit about Antonio Conte, he's generally at his best when he's angry, driven, and under resourced. Um, it's not a coincidence that he did his finest work in his first season at Juventus when he didn't have any of the players he wanted. I mean, he had to redraw his whole system. He grumbled the whole year about it. Or indeed, uh, with Italy, when he had easily the worst Italy squad in, in, in more than half a century. And then, you know, took them to the quarterfinals where they drew with, with Germany and beat Spain along the way. Um, I I'm not so so negative about this if this is how it turns out um you could you know 
Maybe Morat will develop since he's had a whole year with him and he'll contribute a little more. Maybe you raise some money from selling William if that's what you want to do. Maybe maybe David Luiz as well. Everybody seems to have forgotten him. Ruben Loftus-Cheek comes back. Ross Barkley's fit. Would it really be that? Chelsea for the title. No, Ethan, I mean, Ethan, what, Ethan, what about Ethan Ampadu? What a great... Uh, to be honest, I, I actually, I'd love Conte to start. I, I actually find his bloody-mindedness very um, <laughs> in, in, interesting to watch. I, I like I, I like his flight craziness combined with, clearly, he is a bloody good coach. I mean, there's no, no two ways about it. He's um, If there's any part of him that wants to stay, I'd love him to stay. But I just think Chelsea, we've seen too often that, that fallouts, especially fallouts with the hierarchy... You don't stay around. I mean, it's simple as that. If, like me, you're feeling sad about the end of the domestic football season and the end of the game podcast, guess what? We will be podcasting every single match day during the World Cup in Russia. That's right. The game podcast will be available every day. Allison, Matt, and I will all be out in Russia on the front line, appearing on the podcast along with your other favorites, and we have a very special host here in London who will be running the show. To find out who he or she is, keep listening to the podcast over the next few weeks. Let's move to North London, where we have a story today in the game by uh, our colleague Gary Jacob, who says that Mikel Arteta is expected to be named as Arsenal manager this week. Um, other reports suggest Unai Emery could be on his way. Everybody and their dog have been linked to the uh, the Arsenal job. Dick, are you buying this? What's the thinking? Um, I think the thinking is that, uh, well, in, obviously they know Arteta a bit. They think he's bright. They think he's a sort of coming force as... Uh, a coach and they want to harness that. I do think there is probably other agendas in the sense that he's, you bring in a more experienced manager who's set in his ways and I, you know, I think there's a bit of power play going on at Arsenal in the sense of a lot of moving parts, a lot of you know establishing of territory between directors of football, board, ownership. You're talking about Raul and Sven. Yeah, that and I just think bringing in a younger coach, they probably think he's going to be more malleable, you know, more able to sort of, um, you know, be told sort of these are the the, the areas of demarcation and a, 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 an older guy might come in and say, well, hang on a minute, this is how I've worked for the last 20 years. Um, so I think there's a bit of that. Um, I think there's the, undoubtedly, the sort of, you know, he's worked next to Pep Guardiola. Let's hope he's sprinkled with stardust, which I, I think is the dangerous bit of the appointment. I, I, I think... Yeah, everything you hear about Arteta sort of behind the scenes, he does sound like he's got all the potential, you know, to be to be very good. But no one knows, no one can be sure, no one knows, not even Arteta, what it is like to be the main man, to have to make all those decisions relentlessly, to be have staff look to you for the lead, to 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 set that lead, to do it day after day in the right way, and not only that, to do it at a club like Arsenal where. It's been fixed in one mould for 22 years, and it's a big thing to change. So I, that's, I think it's a dangerous appointment, not because, say, I don't think Arteta's got talent, but just because I think it's a, you can't underestimate the scale of the job. Arsenal's a flawed team in, in, in a number of different ways, and I, I, I just think to put that in the hands of what is a managerial novice, you know, that's a fact he hasn't managed before, is... Yeah, is 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 brave, 
almost not quite bordering on reckless, but it's 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 jumping off the ten meter board and not being sure how you're going to land. Really, I think it's weird because undoubtedly, unless Arteta was at City, he wouldn't be considered for the job. If he was an assistant coach anywhere else, I don't think they'd think it was a leap he could make. People say, oh, well, Arteta, he's worked under Pep. You know, he's, it's almost like he's the next Pep. <laughs> and, and Rui Ferrier, he's worked under Jose, he's the next Jose. Well, no, you know, no one knows, you know, it's not like Rui's had the chance to sit down and say, well, actually, I've, I've, I've seen Jose, but I'd prefer to play a different way. Or that they know that Arteta can play the Pep way. I mean, it's there's massive assumptions gone into sort of these guys. Oh, well, he's worked with him, therefore he's a sort of mini-me. But is that, is that even an assumption you want to make? Because Arsenal are the least Manchester City-like team you've got in, well, almost, in the Premier League in terms of... Jose Mourinho thanks you. No, no, I would say, no, I bet if, I don't know, I don't have, I don't have the detailed stats in front of me, but from memory, from looking at Opta throughout the season, Arsenal do the least pressing, the least running around, the least organised, uh, offer the most space in the most ridiculous areas, don't press on the ball, let right, the opposition okay, have, Robson. all the opposite things that City do. So if you want, if you think, if you actually believe, if you're on the board at Arsenal and you've seen that, and you think, yeah, Wenger just let it slip. Just let energy and effort and running slip and that discipline slip. But if only we had what they do at City, which is they have the flair, which we've always wanted at Arsenal, but you ally it to really hard work. You think that Arteta's going to do that. That's asking too much of somebody who's never been in well, charge before. All right, so... The other thing about Arteta, which we should just point out, is he came through the ranks at Barcelona, um, and obviously Raul's background is at Barcelona. So maybe there's a common sort of uh, mindset there as well, although obviously Arteta's been all over. Um, the two points I want to make, two other guys who are hugely respected, two guys who we love to interview, we always say how intelligent they are. They're both midfielders. Um one is Patrick Vieira, who's leaving his job at New York City FC to go, supposedly to go manage Nice. Uh, Dico, did you ever come up in the conversation for Arsenal? Uh, well, I think there was a sort of, they almost felt obliged um, to, to sort of do a nod um, to, to Vieira just because so many of the fans were chuntering about it. Um, I, I don't think it's gone, sort of discussions went very far. Um, and, 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 you know, the fact is, again, we're talking about, I mean, he's done clearly, obviously, done more than Arteta in the sense of he's actually managed for a couple of years. Um, I think a sort of shrewd move by City are trying to develop him and, and do the youth team over uh, the younger players over there, then move to the MLS where he's had a couple of years. Just, you know, it's just experiencing what it's like to be the main man. To, no, to, so to, but why wouldn't he be here be ahead of Arteta? Well, it's in, in, with that logic, he should be. Um, but I'd, equally, I think Vieira would have been a, a big punt. I think he is still learning. Um, I, I, I was over there actually for an MLS game um, a few weeks ago where they got spanked by Red Bull, and uh, you could see there that was that would have been a massive lesson for him because they got they were two 0 down after four minutes, um, just got you know walked into an absolute you know avalanche of of attacks and. and weren't prepared for it and whether that's players or coach he will have learned a huge amount from that and and that's that's the point you know it's it's 
it's a job where there's a hell of a lot to learn, and um, I, I don't think Vieira would have been my appointment either, to be honest. Emery, Emery certainly, his his record makes him an infinitely more credible candidate, it would seem. Um, you know, I do understand, you know, Ancelotti's another one who obviously with his absolutely phenomenal record is, you know, out of work. Uh, I, I do understand the debate between do you want to have someone like Ancelotti who is, you know, well, is he past his best? Is he? Does he still have the absolute desire and hunger? Necessary questions. I can understand them looking for someone who they think is sort of the coming man. But you know, I, I just think you can tilt that argument too far and take someone who's who's, who's lacking in experience, and you, you're taking a punt rather than doing something based on any kind of knowledge. And when you're a club of Arsenal size, should you be taking a punt? You know what I'd love. And somebody threw this out there, and it's a romantic notion. But anybody here know who Arteta's next-door neighbor was growing up? We played to the same age, and they played football together every day. Anybody? Uh, go on. I'll give you a hint. He was a far better footballer than Arteta. Arteta. It's a man named Chabi Alonso. I was going to say, I was about you. Damn, now, I was about to drink and take a punt on that. And he is somebody who everybody agrees is, like Vieira, is one of the cleverest ex-pros around, and he's such a wonderful interview. Now, if you were to bring Chubby Alonso, imagine the guys he's worked under, right? He's worked under Mourinho, Pep, Pep's on-field general, Ancelotti, Rafa Benitez. There you go, Allison's face all lights up when I mention Rafa. Would yeah. it be awesome in Arteta Chabi Alonso he's like a, partnership co-managers? He is, he's, he's sensible. I don't, you know. I think he's sensible enough that he knows he needs to go away, and I hope he's sensible enough he needs to go away. And I mean, you know, there's always the right. So why does Chabi Alonso need to go say, away and Arteta doesn't? I mean, look at Zidane. Look, you know, Zidane's about to potentially win three and three in a row, and and how much experience has he got? I mean, clearly there are sort of, you know, weird anomalies in all of this. But he, you know, he did some sort of time. Uh, learning the ropes. There are an- anomalies to all this, but I just think, say, if there is also something specific to Arsenal, which is it's a big job. You know, it's 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 not just taking over a team that's thriving, or it's not just taking over a team that's that you know is ready to be sort of have a have a tweak of the tiller. This is somewhere someone has to come in and just say, right, I know you've been doing this this way for the last twenty years, but that's not working for me anymore. You know, and there is this ridiculous rule in football that if you get rid of one manager you appoint the opposite England do it every time and lots of clubs do it as well there's like what's who's the opposite who's the opposite of Arsene Wenger voiceover describes what's happening on your iPhone screen voiceover on settings so you can navigate it just by listening books contacts calendar double tap to open breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11 and get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Love the game? Then don't miss The Game Daily. It's your lunchtime update from football's finest writers, and it's only at thetimes.co.uk. On Friday night, the two of you and Tony Cascarino took part in a special Times Plus event in Shoreditch alongside former England manager Roy Hodgson. You can hear the live podcast now. It's up there. But here's a sneak peek with uh, Roy giving us his insight into a player who's called up into the England World Cup squad, Ruben Loftus-Cheek. He's got uh, the chance to be a really, really top player, both at Premier League and international level. And certainly, I, I will stick by uh, the statement that he's one of the best players in midfield I've actually worked with because he, he doesn't have any weaknesses. When he's played for four or five years on the trot and gets up to 2025 20, England caps, uh, then maybe people will say I was right. The squad itself, no Joe Hart, no Jack Wilshire. Uh, those were the two biggest surprises, I guess, Alison. Were they surprises? They were controversial in that they were two players who'd been talked about a lot, but they'd been talked about a lot because there was always this possibility that they wouldn't make it, and for very different reasons. Joe Hart ended up having a season where he didn't play very often, uh, which is damning in itself. If you can't be the West Ham number one, uh, should you be anywhere near the England squad? But then the debate became... But shouldn't you have Joe Hart there for his experience and the fact he's he's done Long these tournaments before? But my argument would always have been, and I back Joe Hart not going, was the biggest criticism of Joe Hart from the Euros was that he was over-emotional and not a great influence. So if you're not the top goalkeeper in club football and you had a poor reputation from the previous big tournament why why would you go and his stats are poor there's nothing there's not there's nothing saying joe hart should go so i don't it didn't surprise me but maybe it was brave of gareth i I like that i like that um and said there's two burnley keepers and the one who i think is really good is on the standby list tom heaton but i guess he's coming back from from injury so so. um what about wilshire because Dicko, there seemed to be this argument, the, the, the Jack Wilshire argument used to be, okay, England have a lot of central midfielders, but none of them are particularly creative. In fact, I'm looking at this list, and I suppose the most creative England midfielder, once you get past Dele Alli, is Ruben Loftus-Cheek or Jordan Henderson? I, I, we- we spoke about this at the event on on Friday night, and and I think. So what's the explanation here? That that would have been the reason to take Wilshire, right? Well, you play somebody who parks the bus. You need somebody with something clever who can unlock things. Wilshire or possibly John Joe Shelby could do that, right? Even though they've other failings. Yeah, well, and there's a certain sadness in leaving Wilshire behind because he has promised to be something very different for an English midfield. But um, a couple of big things: one, fitness. I mean, I you know I've seen him. Um, in too many games where I've I've willed him to look sharper and fitter, uh, and he doesn't. And the England squad they called 
him up and marched, examined his fitness then, and he, he was struggling. And I think you've seen in some big games since, including um, Europa League semi, when he just does not look um, to have that mobility. It's, it's simply, and, and that is a particular problem in the type of midfield that Southgate is setting up, where certainly... You know the sort of starting team um, against the likes of Tunisia and Panama. We suspect will just be one holder, and he'll have effectively two number eights. And he wants them to be very energetic, dynamic. He wants them to basically be in the profile of Lingard, Deli Ali, and Loftus Cheek. And and Wilshire is a very different profile to that. Now you could, someone may argue, well, that's where you need that point of difference. But I I, I can understand the way that Southgate is. Developing a pattern, I think he wants, you know, say you have Ali, Loftus, Cheek, Lingard, they're slightly different profiles within that pattern, but Wilshire doesn't fit it, and he certainly doesn't fit it if he's not fit enough. And, and on the Shelby, back to that sort of profile of player that he's looking at, I mean, Joseph, John Shelby, you know, the highlights reel of him on Match of the Day every week for the last little while has shown him pinging these lovely passes, and boy, doesn't he, you know, he, he hit them beautifully. But they tend to be quite deep, quite static passes. And he, again, doesn't quite fit that profile um, of the previous players I've mentioned, as well as potentially still questions over what type of tourist he'll be if he's not in a starting eleven. So, I, you know, I think you know, people can argue around all those points, but I, I understand that there is a sort of coherence to Southgate's thinking. I think we can at least, the him, we can at least give him that much. No, no, no. I, I understand the coherence. What, what I'm not clear on. Look, in the end, you can't conjure players out of nothing, right? If you bring Wilshire and he's crocked or has a bad attitude, or same applies to Shelby, then there's no point. Looking at the squad, what would concern me, and you, we've seen this in the last World Cup. If you saw teams like Greece or, or Costa Rica, teams that are not very good on on paper, but are very tactically organized. It's like beating your head against the wall unless you have somebody with a spark who can create something out of nothing. And I look at this team, it's not just the midfielders, other than Raheem Sterling and Dele Alli. Who... I mean, you know, I think he's got a lot to... But I mean, the way, you know, Roy talked about him, I mean, the, the, the sort of gushing, I, I was really struck by on front. I mean, we do go back to his... Loftus Cheek's debut against Germany um, for England, and there he was getting the ball nut- nutmegging um, against the world champions. You know, so I know that's that. a creative input. Those three guys: Raheem Sterling, Ruben Loftus Cheek, and Dele Alli. But or don't get bogged well, down with the creativity if you haven't got it. We've got other things, England. We've got pace, lots yeah, I mean, of pace. We've got pace on the wings. Okay, Lingard, listen, you Lingard. can have all the pace in the world, but if the other people put eight people in the box, right? Because that's what you're going to get in certain games. Well, certain then then pace is pointless. There's a, I mean, you could argue that yeah, then... then um, and you lump it to Harry Kane and hope for the best. Well, quite possibly. I mean, actually, that was, you know, I remember Craig Bellamy at the last Euro saying, you know, England are, England are sort of almost been paying for their own snobbery that they don't dare just stick on a big guy. And he said he talked about it many times. He Crunchy. said he's played, he's played in teams when actually, you know, you're playing against a team that are parked eight defenders. And there are different ways, obviously, to approach that. Man City will have their way, as we know. But he said he's played in teams, very good teams, that have actually realised that the only way to draw them out is by swinging in crosses. They have to come out to, to, to block those crosses. That creates a bit of space. But you know, the, the, the big man crosses wingers approach is one way around that. So. And it works. Or it can work if, if other ways. I just think variety is really important. That would be my concern. 
I wonder, I don't want anybody to get injured, obviously, in the England team, but on the standby list, there's a guy who probably still needs to prove his fitness, but has been successful before. He's a genuinely creative English player, I think, can be, and he also works hard. And you're smiling because you know what I'm talking about. Oh, you're setting me up for some silly joke because you want me no. to say Adam Lallana and you're going to say someone else. Well, what are we going to say from this list? Jake Livermore? Come on. Well, no, exactly. of course. You're say Adam Lallana. No, I, I think a fit Lallana... And they love him. And England love him. And he's a great teammate, exactly. And Southgate loves him. And so many players do not do it for their country. So many players, well, for England. So many players are just a little bit uh, paler shade of what they should be for, you know, they just don't have the spark. They just look a bit insipid because they get a bit inhibited. Lalana does not. Lalana looks like he belongs and he really wants to be there. And I, I agree with you, Gab. Don't want anyone to get injured, but. In a way, it could be this weird way it turns out that he ends up going at the last minute and he ends up being star player for England. All right, enough England. I'm sure we'll speak about them once or twice more this summer. Um, how about some quick hits instead? West Ham part ways with Davy Moyes and Manuel Pellegrini is a name doing the rounds to replace him. Dicko, the odd thing is that there were reports that he was offered a new deal. Can you work this one out or is it just the unholy trinity doing their thing ah oh, the unholy trinity we had that good story is it on going into the weekend about james collins supposedly being told by email that um, he'd been released after the decade or so um you know it's it's good old west ham i mean one classy move after another david moyes does his job yes his contract is up for grabs but one guy comes out david golden says yeah let's keep him while the other guy's having tea with a, another manager um it's a mess. They're now they're going for Benitez, which I think would be a match made in hell, given you know a manager <laughs> who loves control and, and owners who love to interfere. What a mess. Big Sam Allardyce has also gone from Everton. Now, there's plenty of names in the frame there, too, including the perennial Marco Silva. But, Alison, should we be more excited by the arrival of uber-hipster Marcel Brands? The Dutchman. The suave Dutchman. It seems a very convoluted way of trying to get something out of... Um, the underperforming player of the season, Davy Klassen. But he is very highly regarded. We spoke about Chelsea. Do they have a plan? They were linked with um, him and he's spotted tons of players and sold them on for money. And I don't know, PSV, in his eight years there, they won three trophies. I don't know. Is that a lot or not a lot? But he's regarded very highly and give him a chance. Yeah, sounds classy. Pep Guardiola signed a new deal with Manchester City, suggesting that this might not be a three-and-out situation, as some predicted. They go, this was inevitable, right? Well, the new contract or three-and-out? I mean, I, th- I think, I th- I think you know, inevitable, they, they, they try and keep him as long as possible. How long he can last with this intensity um, is, is all our sort of question, fascination. I mean, it was... Actually, Roy, Roy Hodgson made a very good, another very good point, if I may say so, on at the panel where we, you know, I was gushing about the great football. And as a coach, he was saying, yeah, there's a great football, but you know, let's talk about how he makes that team work right to the end of the season, to the very last minute of the season when Jesus scores that goal. He just says his, he is as much admiring of the relentlessness, absolute relentlessness of his work and the work he gets out of the players. And we know that has a, a, a lifespan. So if he can do... More than three, four years, great. But we would all still, I think, be a bit surprised. Yeah, and I think if he needs to replace some of these guys if, as they run out of intensity, I think he probably has the wherewithal to do it. I, I also think um, this idea that 
like he kind of wears down internally because it takes so much out of him. I think that was true at Barcelona, no doubt, because there's a ton of pressure and he has an emotional bond with there from, from since childhood. It's possibly true at Bayern because you've got a whole bunch of Germans around you saying, oh, that's very good, but why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? And and the team doctor and all this stuff. But at City, he's he's omnipotent, right? I mean, he can do whatever he wants. Yeah, well, but it feels that way now. But, you know, you just don't know what other challenges are going to come. Um, but, no, I, I agree. It, it feels like he's probably got a bit more breathing. It doesn't feel like this summer is going to be, you know, endless headaches. And, 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 and it feels like the board are, you know, going out of their way to, to, to keep him sweet. So, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe, and being a bit older, maybe he can manage himself better, maybe he can delegate better. But obviously, he's losing. If he loses Mikel Arteta, then you know he's losing the the whole driving force of the whole thing, possibly. possibly <laughs> exactly, because he's never won anything without Arteta exactly. by his side. Yeah. <laughs> Mauricio Pochettino, on the other hand, has not signed a new deal yet. Allison, we've debated some of his strange late season pronouncements. Please reassure the Spurs faithful that everything's going to be fine. Oh, if they want Pochettino to stay, I'm not sure I can reassure them. Let's remember he. He's an incredibly ambitious manager. Is he? Yeah, very ambitious. Cast back to when he left Southampton for Spurs. People who knew him were saying, "Oh, they're not surprised. He's he'll just you know he's he wants to win things." And people who know him well will tell you, he wants to win trophies, which is why it's hilarious that he says it's not important at Spurs. It is important. He won't. I I don't think he wants another Groundhog Day season where he's constantly having to say fourth is good and being in the Champions League is good and he's bringing on young players. He wants to be holding trophies a lot and being credited for for that. So I'm not I'm not sure he's very long term at Spurs. I think he genuinely likes the idea of the new stadium and making it work. But I well, don't know. I think he's, 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 he's ambitious. I think he's, I think he's I think he's I think he's he's bored of lack okay. of investment. Gigi Buffon and Andres Iniesta play their final games for Juventus and Barcelona, respectively, this weekend. Dicko, contextualise their immensity. Uh, In in a minute? You must be joking. No, you don't have a minute. You've got 25 seconds. You've already started. uh, Buffon, brilliant keep, amazing. Shame about the ranting nonsense at the end. Uh, Iniesta, I I think it's much uh, on top of Iniesta's zillion trophies, great things. I think... Maybe a weird thing to say, but it's the fact of someone of his profile has been such a great player, someone sort of spindly looking, um, who looks sort of 50 when he was 20. Um, I, I just think there's something about Barcelona celebrating a player like him and the, him then thriving in it and becoming this immensity that is almost the most joyous thing that someone that doesn't really look, almost looks like the opposite of a modern degree, modern athlete has become just one of the most wonderful footballers to watch I've I've seen. Big debate about whether he's the greatest Spanish player ever, and uh, I struggled to uh, come up with solution, with alternatives. Definitely in the conversation. Now, either Fulham or Aston Villa will be promoted to the Premier League. Uh, Alison, tell those of us who don't watch the championship about these uh, two clubs who were going to square off at Wembley in the playoff final on the day that Liverpool chase their sixth European Cup. Yeah, scheduling nightmare. Um Fulham went down, lost their Premier League status because they were old and they have been reinvented under Slavisa as a relatively young, inventive 
team. We played very, very, very attractive football. Steve Bruce, Aston Villa, has deliberately kept his team old. Their average age is 29 and a half or something. So it's it's almost the oldies versus the youth. Uh, a lot of experienced names that are very recognisable to people who, who know their Premier League football in the Villa side. Fulham, more up and coming and what on earth will happen to their top players if they don't make it to... Who would you rather go on holiday with, Dr. Tony or Mr. Khan? Who would be more fun? Shad Khan, the owner. I know Shad Khan. I know. Who would you rather go on holiday with, him or Dr. Tony? Yeah, I think I'm I'm actually going on holiday with Shad Khan. It's not hypothetical. Gab, I've got a question for you. Um, This is deeply upsetting, but there was no column from you today in the game because it's it's not back till the World Cup. But if you had written a column today, Gab, what would you have written it about? I would have written about Paolo Guerrero, who is the uh, captain of Peru, their all-time leading goal scorer, played a huge part in helping them get back to the first World Cup since 1982. And he failed a drug test, this is way back in in the autumn, um, for some metabolite that is a marker for cocaine. He says that it was coca leaves. Um, there was, it's been through several several levels of cases. FIFA said, okay, fine, you're going to be banned for six months because it's still responsibility. Probably wasn't performance enhancing, but you should have been more careful. And then WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, because of course they know best, they appealed FIFA's decision. It went to CAS. His ban has now been extended to 14 months, which means he's going to miss the World Cup. A lot of people are completely incensed about this, including um, a whole bunch of people in football, FIFA Pro, the Players Union. It is absolutely nonsensical and ridiculous that this guy, having already served a ban, should be left out of the World Cup for, even if he did take cocaine, which he denies and which they accept probably did not happen, that he should miss a World Cup. I I think that there's something really wrong with the way WADA operate, and and this deserves more attention. I feel really, really bad for Peru and, and for him and his family. Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to my excellent guests, Alison Rudd, and down the phone from beautiful Isheen, the place he calls home. It's Matt Dickinson. Remember, it's just eight pounds for an eight-week trial if you would like to subscribe to our newspaper. You can just search The Times online, and you don't just get our content, which is very good. You also get the Sunday Times content. Now, we're going to be back next Monday after the Champions League final. It's Zidane versus Klopp. It's the reigning champions against the top scorers in the whole tournament. It's Real Madrid against Liverpool. Till then, ta-ta. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.